I'm a little messed up today, and uh, I, uh, it's not always good to listen to John Piper right before you preach. Um, and <clears throat> I don't have to tell you guys that God is awesome, right? You know this, right? You, all, you know that God's awesome, right? Okay, you know this. You know that what He's done in your life is, is awesome, right? You, you know that the salvation He's purchased for you is... <laughs> it's, it's beyond... What's the word? It's ineffable. It's beyond words. It's, it's inexplicable. It's, and my great fear is that Oftentimes, many of us as Christians, we simply go through weeks, if not months, and we're not really struck. We don't give ourselves over to the astonishment of it all. And I pray that none of us here are guilty of that. If you believe what you say you believe, you will be astonished. Every day. You will be astonished. So, I'm going to open with a couple of quotes tonight. A new one, I think. And a couple of well-used ones you've heard me use before. Uh, Some of you will recognize the name Blaise Pascal. He's a 17th century French intellectual and theologian. And he writes this. See if you agree with him. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Do you agree? Men are motivated to be happy. And I'm going to tell you something that maybe is news to some of you. God made you to be happy. God means for you to be happy. Um, The problem is, for most of us, is where we're trying to find that happiness. You were built to be happy. You know? He wired you for that. And the problem is, for most of us, where we are looking. Okay, another quote that I often use, Oscar Wilde. Some of you can probably say it before I say it. There are two tragedies in the world. What are they? The first tragedy is not getting what you want. The second tragedy is getting it. Now, why is it a tragedy to get what you think you want? Because it doesn't satisfy It's always a disappointment. If it's not Jesus Christ, if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, you will be disappointed. Your happiness will last this long. Okay? Oscar Wilde is absolutely correct about this. And then, Chinelo, she loves one of my my favorite quotes. I know she loves it. Um, that I use at least once or twice a year because it's so fundamentally true. Mick Jagger, what does he say, Chinelo? 
What does Mick, what does Mick say? <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction, right? Now, this guy, this guy is the definition of a hedonist. And a hedonist is in pursuit of pleasure 24-7. And he's the definition of a hedonist. But he can't get no, right? He can't get there. So God has wired us for happiness. He's wired us with desire that we would pursue Him. It's why Mick can't find no satisfaction. He's, you know, he's a slave to, to worldly material hedonism. He hasn't been set free by what John Piper calls Christian hedonism, which is the ultimate hedonism, right? It's the hedonism that we were all created for. John Piper is fond of saying, and I forget, he's quoting somebody, I forget who it is. God commands us to praise Him. And if we won't, He threatens terrible things. What's the meaning of this, this, this phrase, this quote? You know, C.S. Lewis stumbled over all the commands in the Psalms to praise God. And what he discovered... Some of you know this. I, I've said this many times. God's command to praise Him in the Psalms. What, what is God saying to us? Well, this is simply an invitation to enjoy God. Because if you can genuinely praise God, you are genuinely enjoying God. Now, we can worship in vain. The Bible tells us that we can. We can come in here and we can sing and, you know... We can say proper things about God, but it can be in vain. Jesus says, you worship me in vain because your heart is far from me, right? But God says, come and praise me. Come and enjoy me. I am the ultimate pleasure of the universe. It's what Blaise Pascal, it's what uh, Oscar Wilde, and it's what Mick Jagger are all talking about, ultimately. Human beings are wired with this intense passion and desire for pleasure. And His name is Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. Of course sin is an insult to Him. It's your uh, attempt to find pleasure in something other than Him. Of course it's an insult. Of course He condemns it. Of course He calls you out of it. Because it's a dead end. It is a dead end for you. Man was built for God, but man has given himself to lesser things. All you've got to do is read the paper and maybe even look in the mirror. In talking about Christian hedonism, John Piper says it like this, We should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad thing. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with that which will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction, His name is Jesus Christ. It's John 6. Jesus will say it multiple times, probably five different times in a couple of different ways. I am your bread. 
What's the essential meaning of bread? He is your life. And if He's not your life, you're wrong about everything. And your life is a tragedy. Oscar Wilde's correct. I don't care how much health, wealth, and prosperity you have. If you do not know Jesus Christ, your life is a tragedy. It's the definition of tragedy. It's the definition of eternal tragedy. If you are not eating the bread and being satisfied with the bread that is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if I have health, wealth, or prosperity. I have Jesus. He's my satisfaction. It's the Gospel, beloved. It's what belief means. It's what it means to believe. Again, I tell you all the time, it's not mental assent. The definition of believing as far as the Bible is concerned, it's not mental assent to facts. It's that Jesus is my bread. He satisfies me. I don't need anything else. Period. Particularly religion. I don't need to pray a prayer. I don't need a church ordinance. I don't, I don't need anything other than Jesus and I have Him. It's what He's going to say tonight. We're, going to, we're getting into some huge stuff in John 6. Okay? If you're paying attention at all, John 6 will rock your world. right? <laughs> if you don't know it well... And all the things Jesus says about you and me and how He has saved us and how we are secure. We know how John 6 begins. Jesus has done two spectacular miracles. He's fed 5,000 men, probably 10 to 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And He has walked on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm. Now, if you've been paying attention to John 6, you realize that John just matter-of-factly says that he did these things. There's like, you know, where are the adjectives and the adverbs? I mean, if I wrote this account, I would be all over the place, right? I would be, yeah, <laughs> it would be. This is one reason, of course, I would never write Scripture. But it's like he just, he just mentions it. And he fed the multitude. And he walked on the water. But we've been talking about it, haven't we? The miracles aren't about the miracles. The miracles are about Him, right? And what's going to happen in the rest of John 6? It's the Word of God. You know, it's like, it's like John, he just he hits the miracles and he moves on. He's saying, it's like he says, now here's what I want you to really understand. I want you to understand the Word of God. I want you to understand what all of this means. I want you to understand. I want you to hear what God says. That's what's important. The miracles are only a sign for you to hear and understand who He is and what He means to you, right? That's what the sign is about. And you know what's going to happen. The multitude is going to leave Him. He's going to be left with His 12 guys because of the Word of God. Okay? Now, don't let this... Yeah, don't let this go in and out. I want you to think about this. The multitude is with him when he's making the physical bread, but when he starts talking about the spiritual bread, they're gone. When he starts giving them the Word of God, they're gone, right? There's only 12 guys standing around him at the end of the, at the, end of the chapter. 
And what does Peter say? Jesus says, well, do you want to go too? And what does Peter say? <laughs> Where will we go? You have the words of life. There is no life apart from you, Jesus. There is no life. Peter already knows this. I'll just ask you, do you know it? Do you know there's no life without him? I'm not talking about having a religious, you know, arm's length relationship, which is no relationship. I'm talking about an intimate relationship. Do you know this is true? Do you know he has the words of life? Do you know the miracles are about him? Do you know we don't get jazzed about the miracles because the miracles point to him? I'm jazzed about him. This is true Christianity. Peter says, you have the words of life. Blaise Pascal says, all men everywhere seek for happiness. Oscar and Mick says they can't find it. Even when they get what they want, they can't find it. Jesus says, I'm your bread. I'm your bread. He keeps saying it in this chapter. So, I'll just ask you, is God's Word your bread are you in His Word? Are you feeding your soul? Are you obeying His Word? If you are, you understand Peter. If you're not, you get Mick Jagger. I'll just say it again. If you're not in the Word, if you're not studying the Word, if you're not immersed in the Word, if you're not sitting under the preached Word, if you're not delighting in the Word and enjoying the Word and being, and being built up in the Word, if you are, you understand Peter. If you're not, you understand Jagger. Listen, there's no satisfaction in playing, in playing Christianity. If you play Christianity, you already know that. There's no satisfaction in it. There's no joy in it. There's no peace in it. There's no power in it. But if you're pursuing intimacy with Jesus, everything is in it. You know, Christianity can become like any other world religion. It can become dead simply because people are going through the motions. You know, give us a miracle. Entertain us. Fill my belly. It's what these people are doing. It's why they followed Him. They like the, the tasty bread that He has made. It's, it's the prosperity gospel refuted in John 6. Jesus says, you're just following me because you ate the bread. You don't really care about me. You don't love me. You don't worship me at the core level. You just want the bread. He refutes the prosperity gospel in the most emphatic terms in John 6. I never noticed this before until this time through. They just want another free lunch. You heard the text read. We, we, we touched on these verses last week, but I just want to touch on them once again. Verse 26, Jesus told them, yeah, you seek Me because you ate. Verse 27, He says, do not work for temporal food, but seek that which endures to eternal life, and I will give you this food. I'm God. You know, it, it says He put that God has put His seal, the Father has put His seal on the Son. It's another way, we've seen it many, many times in John 5 and into John 6, Jesus is saying, I'm God. You know, those people who say that Jesus never claims to be God, they apparently can't read on a third grade level. 
or obviously they have some other agenda. He is God. Verses 28 and 29. Uh, Jesus, the Master Evangelist, He has these people asking Him what they must do to do the works of God. Right? This is what every evangelist wants. Right? You have people asking, what must I do? What must I do? To work the works of God. And what does Jesus say? This is the work of God that you might believe in Him whom He has sent. Believe the facts. Believe I'm the bread. Believe I'll satisfy your soul forever. Believe that. Believe I'm better than any religion. I'm better than any doctrine. I'm better than any confession. I'm better than any sacrifice. I'm your bread. I'm better. I'm better than anything in the world. I'm better. Some of you have temporal dreams. It's fine to have temporal dreams as long as they're under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. People dream about family and kids and career. This is, this is, this is good, but this better be dream with a small d, beloved. This better, not be, this better not be a dream with a capital D because He should be your dream. He should be your dream. Getting to know Him better should be your dream. Jesus says, I am your bread. We believe in such a way that that's true. We get it. When we read John 6, we're not confused. He's not talking about, you know, Pana. He's talking about my soul. He's talking about being in relationship with me personally. It's, that's what He's talking about. So we pick up here at verse 30. They said therefore to him, What then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Let me go ahead and read verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like they've got something on their mind, right? Why are they asking for a sign? He just gave them a sign. He just fed them. Why are they asking for a sign? Did, have you ever noticed there's never enough miracles in the Bible? Old Testament, New Testament. They always, the people always need another miracle. Just one more miracle. Right? <laughs> it's men love a good show. You know, don't, don't press on me about loving God, but give me a show. Right? Give me a show. I love a good show! Particularly if it fills my gut. Right? If it fills my belly with that wonderful bread that I'm sure Jesus dispensed. These, these guys, they have seen miracles and they have heard about Him. He's been walking around for the last year or so. And like I said to you a few weeks ago, He's a supernova. Everybody knows about Him. Everybody knows what He's doing. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who's seen a miracle or experienced one. They don't need another miracle. What they need is to realize that He is their bread. Right? 
What good is one more miracle going to do? Because you know what's going to happen the next day. Give us another one. They talk about Moses. This is a reference to the Old Testament and Moses, right? Moses gave us uh, bread in the Exodus, right? Well, what's the implication here? What's the inference? <laughs> he did it for 40 years. How long are you going to do it, Jesus? You only did it yesterday. What about today? Are you going to do it for 40 years like Moses? They can't, they can't get off the physical bread, right? They can't get off of it. This underscores the biblical reality that miracles do not convert anybody. What does the Bible tell us? What is it that converts people? How does faith come? The Bible doesn't say faith comes by miracles. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by the Word of God. Elijah's right. Hearing the Word of God. That's why you should come and be in this building as often as you can because we preach the Word of God. We don't do anything but the Word of God. Why do we do the Word of God, Jim? It'd be, we'd have more people if you could, you know, make some bread or if you could heal somebody. You know, if you could do some miracles, it would be much better. We would have more people here. Do you think we'd have more people here? Probably so. But hey, I don't know how to do physical miracles. I know how to do spiritual miracles. Preach that. That's all I, that, that's all I know. I preach that. God does what God does in your life. Listen, miracles happen in here all the time. People come in here dead, they walk out alive. Okay? You don't ever see it. Sometimes I don't even see it. I don't even hear about it. Till a year later, you know, they're back in their home country and I get an email. <laughs> right? Jim, I think this happened when I was in Milan. God is always doing miracles on the spiritual level. Please don't be like this, this, this crowd demanding God perform for you physically. He may. He may. But He's most interested in the spiritual miracle in your life. That He'll be your bread. That He will be your satisfaction. Hey man, stuff's going on in here that's way bigger than bread, free bread and way bigger than a physical healing. Way bigger. Okay? It's why John just blows right past the miracles. And he says, look at Jesus. Come to Christ. You have to have Him. You must have Him. It's, it's what John 6 is saying to us. So, the proclamation of the Word of God. How shall they call upon Him who they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him who they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. It's why we preach the Bible. It's all I've got for you. I don't have anything else. <laughs> and any honest pastor, any called of God, honest Pastor worth his salt will tell you the same thing. All I've got is God's Word, which is enough in every circumstance. I don't do magic. I don't cast spells. You know, I don't do tricks. I preach God's Word. I preach the Word of God. 
By His Word, God does the biggest miracles of all. So, hey, Jesus, Moses did it for 40 years. Come on. We haven't seen anything yet, right? He did it 40 years. How long will you feed us? They wanted a useful God. We talked about it last week. You know, it's the health, wealth, pro- health, wealth and prosperity thing. They want People want a useful God, a utilitarian God. I can use this God. If that's how you think about God, you, have, you, you are clueless about the biblical God. He will not be used. He will be your Savior. If you will repent and believe and place your faith in Him, but He will not be used for your amusement, for your convenience, for your pleasure, for your sustenance. He will not be used. So, yeah. Verse 32 and 33. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus clears up a few doctrinal and theological problems. Obviously, these people are still focused on the physical bread and Jesus begins to lay the foundation to to, to reveal to them that He is the bread. The bread has come down from God and He's about to tell them that He is the bread. It has come down to give life to the world. Jesus is going to tell them that He is the bread, but they can't see it. They're so earthbound, right? This is why... This is why it's good to come and gather with the people of God. I was just singing with you guys uh, a few minutes ago and I was released from being earthbound. I was just praising God and thanking God for you that there's a handful of international English-speaking people and some Italians who want to come and worship God here, right? And we can worship together in this redeemed garage, just a handful of us. And I know Christ Jesus is smiling down from His throne. Look at my people. Look at my people delighting in me. (laughs) Yeah, they're a joke to the world, but I love them. I love them. So we're here. So we won't be earthbound. We'll be released in our hearts and in our minds as as we worship together and as we contemplate the greatness of God, as we hear His Word preached, as we sing His praises, as we cry out to Him, in prayer. So, it's Colossians 3.2. You guys know that great call. But it's the call of the New Testament. Paul says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So I'll just stop and ask you. Is that true of you? Are you pursuing Colossians 3.2. Are you proactively setting your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth? Is this something you fight for? 
Is this something you struggle to do? Is this something you give yourself over to? It's the call of the New Testament. Verse 34, They said therefore to Him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread! Of course, what are they thinking? They're still thinking full stomachs, right? It's just like the woman at the well over in John 4, right? She said, give me this water so I don't have to come draw anymore! Right? She, she, was, she was way off base. They are too. They're still thinking in the physical. It's that earthbound mentality, right? They can't get their eyes up and looking at, at God. Just like the woman at the well. This crowd is saying, feed us like Moses, man. Forty good years of free bread. We'll believe in you. We'll do whatever you want. Keep the bread coming. I got to tell you, as the pastor of an international church, I, I see people who come through here with this kind of prosperity theology, right? And I told you last week, it's, it's, it's worse than blasphemous. It's a demonic because it's a lie. Every lie is demonic. Who is the father of lies? Satan. If it's a false gospel, it's not just a mistake. It's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah. So, these guys, they'll follow Jesus if Jesus will make it good for them. If they get a little health, a little wealth, a little prosperity, and a lot of free bread. Let me say this to you, and I know you know it. The good news is that God is going to make the Christian life what He wants it to be for you. Okay? You don't get to dictate to God what your Christian life will look like. He will do what He pleases with you. This is good news. <laughs> because He knows better than you. Okay, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you think God knows better than you? Okay, I think we have a universal... Yes, it's universal. Do you believe it? Will you live it? When you have to cry? Because we're all going to cry. It's going to happen. Do you trust Him then? Do you trust Him when it's hard? So, we talked about this Wednesday night at Young Adult Bible Study, and, we, and I talk about it all the time. His plans for you are way better than your plans for you. If you haven't learned that yet, I'm so happy to be able to say it to you one more time. His plans for you are way better than your plans for you. You need to open up your hands and let Him have your life. And you will, begin, you will begin to taste things you have never tasted before. Joy and happiness that you have never tasted before. So Oscar and Mick, they can't get no satisfaction even when they get what they want. It's a sad fact that this is the, the experience of most of mankind. 
It's because they are unwilling to come to Christ. John 5.40 You are unwilling to come to Me that you might live. John 5.40 One of the most important verses in the New Testament as far as understanding who mankind is. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, someone tell me, what does your text say? Jesus said to them what? I am the bread. Right? I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall not hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. Yes, Mick Jagger. Yes, Oscar Wilde. Yes, Blaise Pascal. That's right. If we come to Christ, we shall not hunger, nor shall we be in thirst. He satisfies us. He's the bread. He's the bread. He's the bread. This is the essence of saving faith. He is my satisfaction. He is my satisfaction. Jesus says, And he who comes to Me, his soul shall never hunger. And he who believes in Me, his soul shall never thirst. I will stop and ask you, are you enjoying God? If you don't know what it means to enjoy God, we'll talk. If you're a Christian, you already know what it means to enjoy God. You find great pleasure in God. Just communing with Him. I'm working on a book about, about creation. And I've been telling Karen and I've been telling some others that I've been talking about. It's like, it's like he, the, the more I study his genius, the more awe I have for him. And the more I delight in him. <laughs> this genius is my father, right? <laughs> Who loves me. Um, yeah. Who loves me in an amazing way. So, true belief is believing in such a way that Jesus is your bread. He is your satisfaction. Verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen Me, yet you do not believe. So, they would not believe. They would not Believe you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. This is why men land in hell. We talked about it several weeks ago. God has, has made a free offer of grace and mercy to anyone who will come. But God says you are unwilling to come to me. I, I love what John MacArthur says about this. He actually has a book, I think it's entitled... Uh, or the subtitle of the book is, it's, uh, he says, it's hard to not believe. There's so much evidence with respect to Jesus Christ. There is so much evidence. Now I know the skeptics say, you know, it's a fairy tale. But hey, if you'll spend a little time doing your homework, you'll realize there is a ton of evidence to the accuracy of Scripture, the existence of Jesus, uh, the actual occurrence of the cross and resurrection. There's a ton of, a ton of evidence. There's a ton of evidence. 
And that evidence will be exhibited in the courtroom of God against you if you are unwilling to come to Him. You'll never be able to say, I didn't know or understand. Wrong! He's evident in the created order. He's evident in the conscience. Uh, and, and He's written across your heart. He's evident in history. He's evident in the Scripture. He's evident every day you get up. He's evident. He's evident, beloved. And men spend their lives chasing garbage. I mean, I mean, things they can't keep. They don't get to keep it. But they give their lives for it. They can't keep anything they gain on this planet. Zero! And men give their lives for it. Every day of their life, they just, they're giving themselves away instead of pursuing Christ, who is the bread of life. Oscar and Mick are right. There is no ultimate satisfaction in this world. And yet, men are unwilling to come to Christ. Verse 37 All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Jesus says, you don't believe me, but some will. <laughs> this is why I preach the gospel. It'll be interesting to see on the other side, how many people I preached to actually came to Christ. I'm sure... Um, I, well, I just don't, I, there's no way I can know what that percentage will look like. It will be interesting to find out, right? But hey, here's the Son of God. They all left Him. This highlights the hard heart of mankind. The disposition to unbelief. The disposition away from the true God who is Jesus, right? This is our natural, fallen, rebellious disposition. So there's some huge truths that are going to be revealed here in John 6. Uh, in the balance of the chapter, Jesus starts to talk about the divine side of sal the salvation equation. Verse 44, I'll just point, point it out to you. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Verse 65, no one can come to me unless it is granted from the Father. Let me just share with you Ephesians 1, 3-5 real quick. The Holy Spirit says of the true believer that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In love He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of His glory of His grace. This, this giving of the Father to the Son this, this is part of a, the faith equation, right? It's the divine side. God's in charge. God is sovereign. But you must exercise faith. You must come to God. God's in charge. But you must exercise faith and repentance. This is biblical truth. This is the invincible work of God to save His people. Do you know if God doesn't, as Ephesians 1.3 say, if God doesn't predestine, if God doesn't choose before the foundation of the world, do you know what happens? 
Everybody goes to hell. Everybody. I always, I never understand why men get so upset at this doctrine, although it's clearly taught. And I understand if you struggle with it, it's fine. If you haven't been taught these things, uh, I'll be happy to talk further with, with you about them. Uh, there's a couple of great sermons. That, well, at least, let me. Great is not the right word to use. They're my sermons, so I would say informative sermons. Uh, from, out of 1 Peter, if you struggle with predestination and election, just go to 1 Peter chapter 1. First couple, three or four uh, sermons are about this because Peter talks about it right off the bat. Um, so if you struggle with this, I get it, that's fine. But don't edit God. Let God have His glory. He says the Christian is a love gift from the Father to the Son. This is huge. This is huge. Jesus says, all who come to me are a gift from the Father. I'm just going to give you a couple quick verses, okay? Uh, just to, to uh, buttress this, they're all from the Gospel of John. If you want the references, email me. I'll give them to you. You guys, in John 10, uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them uh, eternal life. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. John 17, 6. Jesus is praying to the Father. I manifested your name to the men whom you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. John 17, 9. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on the behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. John 17, 20 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe through their word. You know, a lot of people say, well, uh, John 17, Jesus is simply praying about his disciples. No, verse 20 uh, refutes that. He's praying for all those who believe through his word. Every Christian is a gift from the Father to the Son. You say, Jim, I, I've never been taught this. I don't understand this. That's fine. Process it. Pray about it. Study the Scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Come talk to me. I'm your last resort. <laughs> I'll be less help than the rest. It's how Jesus talks about you if you're a Christian. You are a love gift from the Father to the Son. This is one reason you'll praise God forever and never grow weary and never want to stop. John 17 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be where I am in order that they may behold my glory. Listen, if you can't do anything else, worship. <laughs> worship. And you ought to be worshiping anyway. If you're a Christian, you're a gift from the Father to the Son. And if you deny that, if you try to edit that or deny that in any way, I don't know what you're going to do with John 17. <laughs> he says it like five times. I don't know what you're going to do with John 6. So, beloved, this is a breathtaking truth. Um, this giving of God begets this believing on our, uh, in our uh, case. So, it's breathtaking. I don't know that we'll fully grasp it even in eternity. And here's our eternal security. You know, a lot of people say, well, uh, yeah, I'm eternally secure because of this, that, or the other thing. Here's why you're eternally secure. You're a love gift from the Father to the Son. You think Jesus is ever going to lose one of you? 
You think anyone could get you out of his hand? He says it. You heard me read it three or four times. I'll lose not one of them. I'll never lose one of them. Not one of them. My salvation is secure, not because I'm a good man. God knows I'm not. My salvation is secure because I'm a love gift from the Father to the Son and Jesus will never lose me. And why is it important to know this? Beloved, you're supposed to be fully persuaded because fully persuaded Christians turn the world upside down. It's those who are kind of clueless and never read their Bible and never deal with hard doctrines and never you know, come to peace about the, the weighty things that God says. You know, they can't go out in the world and be fearless. But the fully persuaded Christian can. God means for you to be fully persuaded. That you're a love gift from the Father to the Son. And He means for you to live it huge. I'm closing out here. You will be invincibly kept. Let me finish real quickly. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will. Listen, listen to this. 38, we hear the word will. 39, we hear the word will. This is the will of Him who sent me. That of all that He has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. It's the will of God. God is saving a people for the glory of His name. It's the will of God. He's doing it through Jesus Christ. He's doing it through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I will raise Him up on the last day. It's always Romans 1. Here's the deal. We know He's there, and He knows we know He's there. <laughs> so what does the thinking man or woman do? If you're thinking, you pursue God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're deluded or deceived, you walk out this door, you kind of blow off the sermon, and you live your life. But the thinking man or woman God made me to know that God is there. He knows I know that He is there. What do I do with that? And what do I do with this, this open call to come and receive grace and mercy? What do I do with that? What does the thinking man do with that? The thinking man flees to Christ. It's what the thinking man does. So, Mick Jagger says he can't get no satisfaction. He's looking in the wrong place. He is unwilling to come to Christ that he might have life. And let me just say this and I'm done. I pointed it out to you. The will of God in verse 38, verse 39, and verse 40. This is the Alpha and the Omega of all reality in the cosmos. God is saving a people for Himself. I hope that maybe 
If this is new to you, this divine side of human salvation, I hope that you'll be open to it. I hope that you'll become a student of the Word of God. I hope you'll, you know, study these things out for yourself. I am available to you. Again, go to First Peter. Listen to the first three uh, or four sermons on First Peter. It might help you. I'm here to help you. But one thing we will never do in this church is dumb it down and make it appeal to the flesh. We don't do that here. We just say what God says and we let the chips fall. Right? We just let the chips fall. People don't like it. They don't come back. I get that. It happens all the time. But Jesus said it. If, if I said it wrong, come tell me. I'll change my sermon. But Jesus said it. Every believer is a gift from the Father and I hold Him. This is for the glory of God, beloved. Your salvation is not for your glory. It is for the glory of God. So I pray that we would be humble. We would receive what God has said to us and we would let Him be our bread and we would worship. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table.